0: My name is Chavil Raish. I'm the director of perusia, a Sydney-based Catholic apostolate in Australia, um, aimed at evangelizing and faith-forming or forming Catholics uh, to deepen their faith uh, and and their relationship with God. Uh, we have a website, ParusiaMedia.com, and we've hosted many uh, virtual conferences in the past, and we have resources and speakers and podcasts, blogs, and all that. So I invite you to check out our website at perusiamedia.com. But I wanted to uh, thank uh, Andy Santos and Bill Snyder for the invitation for me to share about the Eucharist. And uh, the title of this talk for this Eucharistic Summit is How I Had My Encounter with Christ in the Eucharist. And so my encounter with Christ specifically happened in front of the tabernacle. And, uh, and I want to share a little bit about that day, that moment. When I had my encounter with Christ in the tabernacle, uh, you'll see that the word parousia, by the way, which is uh, behind me and and the ministry that we run, it's a Greek word meaning presence. It means presence. And this word in Greek, you would say it parousia, parousia or parousia. Um, and it not only refers to presence, presence of Christ, but also the future presence of Christ in the second coming. And uh, I remember talking to uh, Scott Hahn, Dr. Scott Hahn, about this. And, and you know, the idea here is that the second coming of Christ actually isn't something we're waiting for in the future, but it's here with us now. And that second coming, by the way, is in every tabernacle, in every church around the world, the Eucharist. Um, so the parousia is here among us now. So we're actually waiting for a third coming of Christ, if that makes sense and how Jesus said, I wish I would be with you until the end of times. Well, he has given us this gift, and he is with us until the end of times through the Eucharist, through the parousia, the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So let me dive in. I didn't appreciate this, to be honest. I was born and raised a Catholic, um, but as many may have already known my story, how Islam led me back to Christ, I drifted away from my Catholic faith and was heavily influenced by my Islamic friends. They asked me a series of questions about how, How could God become human? How could God die on a cross? Do you have any evidence of that? How do you believe in three gods, assuming that's what we believe in with the Trinity? Um, How do we call God Father? All of these things. Um, And even probably one of the most um, degrading uh, comment, which I've heard uh, from my friends was, if you Catholics believe in the Eucharist, and if you believe truly believe that's God, and then when you consume the Eucharist, well, what happens when you go to the toilet, you know? Does the does God just get flushed out down the toilet? And this huge misunderstanding of what the Eucharist is and how it becomes one with us in our bodies. I'm going to explain a bit about this, but, but this is what I was bombarded with. So I actually got to a point where Christianity makes no sense. I, I don't know my faith. And I remember going to the mosque in my final year of high school, giving my life to Allah and Muhammad. I said the Shahada prayer, I did all that. And... I knew enough that, hang on, I needed, I needed to give my Catholic faith a chance. Uh, my mother gave me a slap across the face when I got home when she found it. I was in the mosque. I remember all this, and I won't go into the details here. That's, uh, you know, I encourage you, I've written a book on it. And uh, if you wanted to check it out on a website, How Islam Led Me Back to Christ. But I wanted to hone in on the moment when, when Christ spoke to me. And I remember going to the church, St. Michael's Belfield, sitting at the back of this church and looking at the box. I even forgot the word tabernacle by then um, because I drifted away from my faith. And I remember the red light and the red light symbolizes, as you know, Jesus is there. Jesus is present. So I thought, okay, Jesus, if you are really there, show me. And I ask him, do you want me to be a Muslim or a Christian? Now, guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. Dead silent. But why do I say that? Silence isn't nothing. Silence is very powerful. I was silent before a box, let's face it, a box that I was guessing. I was sort of half-hearted. I wasn't sure if Jesus was really there. But a miracle took place when I was kneeling down at the back of this church, staring at that box. I was silent for 30 minutes. Now, I've never been silent in my life, more than one minute, let alone 30 minutes. And here I am staring at that box. The, the silence, God's voice can be heard in the silence. Now, I want to share with you what happened after 30 minutes. But just wanted to sit in that silence for now. Do you, do, do you, have you ever been in that moment when you can be silent? Let alone silent in front of the Lord. And, and this is what I did for the first time in my life. 30 minutes in. I, I, I see a, a shadow on the door of the tabernacle, appeared to be a face, which I later discovered was the Shroud of Turin, the image of the Shroud of Turin. And then an interior voice, Shabel, are you going to give up all that I've done for you? And I knew that to be the voice of Jesus. He was speaking to me from that tabernacle and he was challenging me. Am I willing to turn my back on him? Who's done so much for us? who fed the 5,000, who walked on water, who then gave us the manna, you know, who, who, who became the new manner in heaven. And I'll share a bit about this in a moment. Was I willing to turn my back on this miracle worker, my Lord, my creator, my best friend, what soon to be my best friend? I turned my back on him already, but was I going to completely leave him? And I had to respond. I said, no, Lord, I'm not going to give you up. And I called Jesus Lord for the first time in front of that tabernacle. Knowing, in fact, actually, he is present right here in this tabernacle. Lord, I'm not going to give you up. I'm going to remain a Catholic. And so I left that church on cloud nine, this weight off my shoulders. Am I going to remain a Muslim? And no, I'm a Catholic. I'm going to remain a Catholic. And I'm going to learn my faith. And I'm going to learn the why behind my faith. And the Eucharist became a huge center point to my faith uh, in fact it is known as the source and summit of our faith and and i want to share some some ideas i learned over the years about the power of the eucharist and i certainly started my journey back to christ through the eucharist and i remember that day clearly uh, it was 23 years ago and it was during the season of lent it was on a friday and i remember kneeling down in front of that tabernacle which i now know is called the tabernacle and seeing the shroud of Turin image. True in hearing the voice inside and being called by him, Jesus Christ, present in that tabernacle, in the Holy Sacrament, in the Holy Sacrament, the Blessed Sacrament, and inviting me or basically challenging me, are you going to leave? And just, just a flashback here, if you read, as I I started to read the Bible from that day, I started to, to, to read commentaries and hear great talks about great speakers from Dr. Scott Hahn to Tip Staples to Steve Ray to... Um, uh, others like Jason Evert and um, Bran Petrie and Michael Barber. Oh, my goodness. The list goes on. Uh, and, and great speakers on this conference, this Eucharistic Summit. You're hearing a lot of a lot of the best speakers right now. And, and get the most out of it because when you start to take on, write notes, what you learn from this summit, it's going to change your life. You're going to interiorize it. Let it sink in. Let it soak it up and watch what happens. What happened to me, I, I was like a sponge and I was absorbing all this knowledge I was learning. And just one flashback, when Jesus said, are you going to give up all that I've done for you? I'm thinking right now of the moment when he talked to the apostles and he talked to all those people that day in John chapter 6 when he gave them the bread of life discourse. And he said at the end, you know, first of all, he made the connection between the manna in heaven and and, and himself being the manna. And just, just to make a comparison very quickly, Remember the Israelites, when they, were, they they left slavery into freedom, so they left Egypt, they they crossed the Red Sea, they saw a miracle there, they witnessed the 10 plagues, by the way, before that, they witnessed God's hand, they witnessed the miracle of God. They also then were on their way to the promised land in the desert and they asked for water and they got water. Then they asked for food, they got bread, the manna from heaven. Every single day they had manna from heaven and to the point where they were sick of it and they asked for meat and they got quail from heaven. So God was with them the whole time. God was showing his power the whole time. And so may we never forget God's power. But on that manner in heaven, they would live a day and that manner would come every single day, every single day, but enough for that day, not tomorrow, just today. And you, you fast forward when Jesus says, you know, give us this day our daily bread in the, in the, our father, our daily manna. You could, you could replace that sustains us physically. And then Jesus, on, when he's giving this bread of life discourse in John chapter 6, he then says, the Israelites ate manna from heaven, but I am the new manna. And then he says, they ate that manna and they died. But if you eat of this manna, this bread, my flesh, you will live forever. And then, then the people there said, this manna you speak of, give us this manna. Where is this? I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Whoa, they were thrown away. They were were blown away by that statement. How could we eat your flesh? Really? Uh, And they were literally thinking like eating Jesus's body. Now, he didn't clarify to say, look, I was only speaking symbolically, guys. He doubles down not once, not twice, not three, not four times, half a dozen times. And in fact, if you add up all the times he says, I'm the bread of life. Um, when he makes a connection between the blood, the body, the bread, and, and, and himself, it's over 13 times he's making a reference and reinforcing the fact that he means what he says. Anyone who eats my, my body and drinks my blood, eats of it, my flesh, will live forever. Now, this is obviously the manner in the Old Testament was foreshadowing the manner in the New. I just want to just point out, first of all, you have to understand that the Jews understood that story. And they understood God's hand at that time. When they rejected Christ here, it, you know, again, yet again, if you read the Old Testament, they've rejected God multiple times. Here we are about to reject Christ. Half the people left that day. And then Jesus turns to the apostles and he says, do you want to leave also? And that was the question that hit me in that tabernacle. Are you going to give up all that I've done for you? Charbel? And you know, the flashback I had at that moment was the miracle stories. See, Jesus, not, not only, see, in the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites water in the desert. In the New Testament, Jesus calms the storms, he controls the water, and he walks on water. Jesus is commanding. You know, he doesn't only just fulfill the Old Testament, he raises it up and he, fulf- he fulfills it, but he takes it to a whole new level. Old Testament, not only did God give them Uh, bread from heaven Jesus comes from heaven and gives them bread that lasts for eternal life you see this bread that he gives his flesh isn't just to sustain us for a day isn't just to sustain us for our lifetime it's to sustain us physically but yes also spiritually body and soul for eternity it is eternal life and so think about this in every tabernacle there is Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, right there present. Now, the tabernacle, you like, is a symbol. Let's go back to the Old Testament. The manna in the Old Testament, where was it kept afterwards? They actually kept a dish with manna inside in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, as you know, is a golden box. In that golden box, um, we have manna from heaven. But also in there was the Ten Commandments. And also in there, we have the rod of Aaron, the staff of Aaron. You've got Three symbols right there: the Word of God, which is the Law of God, the Ten Commandments. You have the the staff of Aaron, which is who was was a priest, a high priest from the priestly tribe of Levi. So we have the priesthood, and then we have the manna from heaven, and that manna was foreshadowing the the manna that will last forever in the Eucharist. But again, showing us how God performed this miracle to sustain and look after the Israelites. Three things we have bread. We have priesthood. We have the word of God or the law of God. And in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, have you ever thought, now, Mary is known as the new Ark of the Covenant because inside of her womb has Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, he is the fulfillment of all those things. He is the high priest who offered himself on the cross. He is the manna from heaven, which I just described, who will give us his flesh to eat and body and blood to drink to live forever but he also is the word of god the word made flesh in john 1 and dwelt among us and so not only then if you translate the old the ark of the covenant in the old testament to the new ark mary but then the tabernacle the tabernacle itself could be seen as the womb of mary but in that tabernacle it's it is an ark of the covenant the tabernacle is a form it also must be made of of gold or precious metal. And it is symbolic of the old ark. But Jesus now is present. The holy of holies is inside of that tabernacle. You see, may we never underestimate the power of Christ because he transformed my life that day. When I just ask a simple question, Jesus, if you are really there, show me. And I invite you to say the same thing. Go to the church next time you get a chance. Ask Jesus, stare at that box as I did and ask, If you are truly here, show me and just be silent and wait and wait and wait. And if you think you've waited enough, wait some more because it's in the silence. Jesus will speak and you won't hear him through these ears. It's an interior voice. And watch what happens. Now, this is not testing God. This is inviting God into your life. And you're only going to hear him. You're only going to experience his presence. If you let him in and if you listen, all the saints talk about this. All of the church fathers, ultimate prayer is ultimate being one, this relationship being one with our creator. And you don't get more unified than receiving him, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. This marriage that takes place in heaven and at every mass is God himself coming down as one of us, dying and rising again. So in his glorified body, we receive the Holy Eucharist to become one. You see, you are what you eat. And when you receive Jesus, he knew this, you don't get more intimate than consuming food. And that food becomes one with your body. And when that food is the glorified body of Jesus Christ, the creator, second person of the blessed Trinity, you are now a living tabernacle. You are now another Ark of the Covenant. You are imitating Mary as the new Ark. You are being one with Christ in this Eucharist. And you now need to go out and share this. And just closing with this thought, when you go to Mass, I could say so much more on the Eucharist, and you're going to hear a lot through this, this beautiful Eucharistic summit. Great great initiative. And thank you again, Anders Santos and Bill Snyder and, and everyone at Patchwork Heart Ministries. But when you go to Mass and you hear those words, you know, the Mass has ended, the Mass is ended, Go, go out, go in peace and love to serve the Lord. Um, in Latin, Mass Missa Missa est. It, it, the Mass it, it comes from the word the missile. And what, what's the idea here? Missile. What? Why on earth are we calling this missile? What the root word from Mass Missa missile? What happens to a missile? It explodes, of course. But what does it ex, what what does it explode? What what's it's whatever's inside that missile? It explodes. It comes, it comes out of that missile. And so we're called to become another missile. Get out there and blow up. What are we going to blow up with? Whatever's inside. What's inside? The Holy Eucharist. So if we can explode out there and be the real presence to people in the world, imagine the impact that's going to have on our culture. Imagine what that's going to have with our family and friends, our colleagues. Imagine what will happen when we just become those missiles. But first inviting Christ in and then letting him explode out so he can reach to the ends of the earth through us because that's the way he wanted it. And so I uh, thank you for listening to this very short reflection on the Eucharist, how I had my encounter in the tabernacle. And I pray one day you will too. And at every mass and every time you visit a church, if you if you are doubting in any way, go and ask Jesus, help me. Help me understand this, this truth more and invite him in. And just watch what happens. You'll be transformed. Transformed in the body and blood of Christ. God bless you. My name is Shabal Resh. I'm direct at Parusia. I invite you to visit our website again, perusiamedia.com Thank you again to everyone at Patchwork Heart Ministries and enjoy the rest of this Eucharistic summer. May God bless you.